It's going to be a great morning as we unpack this story of this incredible man in the Bible named David and the lesson from his life. And David is going to teach us as if, I hope he'll literally jump out of the pages today and you'll get to know who he is, what he's like, and it'll affect the way that you live. We're going to learn from characters over the next few weeks, characters whose character mattered. And the basis of our whole series was a scripture in the book of Proverbs. I read it to you last week. And if you, it's on the top of your uh, worship notes, the little note uh, sheet that you have. I invite you to pull that out. Let's look at that first scripture together where it says, Commit what you do to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And that is so backwards from the way that we think. We think, God, tell me what to do. Like, give me the plan or let me make sure that my plans are good because then I'll know what I do will be successful. And God says something totally different. And this is what we're going to be dissolving and learning, try to get our head around this idea over the next several weeks through all these great men and women that, that it's really who you become. What God is after is become a person of character. Do the right things and you will become a person that makes good plans. That, that a person of character, they make plans and God says, well, I'll bless those plans. And that's how you become successful. So last week we learned from Abraham and the story of Abraham's character was this. He learned through test after test that God comes through no matter what. So even if he takes too long, I mean, if he's taking a long time, even if uh, I don't understand, even if it makes no sense, if God seems crazy, when I think he's unfair, the message of Abraham's life was God always comes through. You can count on him. Faith is trusting God when I don't understand. The basis of our whole study. Now today we're going to look at a man named David, and we're going to learn from him this. What do you do when things don't go your way? What do you do when you bump into authority and you disagree with authority. You ever been there before? Everybody's always agreed with authority. I mean, whether that's a parent or it's a principal at a school or maybe it's the president of a company or even the president of our country and you say, well, I just flat disagree. So what are you gonna do when you feel like you're losing influence or you're losing power or you're just not getting your way? That is going to be a test of your character right there. What will you do? Will you maneuver, manipulate, uh, do whatever it takes? I think a lot of people today would say, well, of course, you just do what you have to do because nobody's gonna tell me what to do. You seen this show, 24, that's making a comeback? You watch that show a lot? Anybody seen that show? I love 24. 24 has a character named Jack Bauer, and he always saves the day. And Jack Bauer always knows what to do, and he always stops the bad guys. <laughs> really, you know what the truth is? He is the most rebellious person on the entire show. If there's a red door, and they say, Jack, whatever you do, don't go through the red door, because if you go through the red door, the whole earth will explode. You know, the world will blow up if you go through that red door. What is Jack Bauer going to do? He's going through the red door, and the, and the story will tell us every week, you can't trust authority. Authority is idiots. Or they're, they're dumb. What you need to do is take matters into your own hands, do what you think is right, and that's how you save the day. And that's really the message of every show. In case you, I've spoiled it for you, that's basically what happens. Jack does it his way, and he's smarter than everybody else, and he gets away with all of his rebellion, rebellion because he's just, he's just smart. Well, unfortunately, that's the spirit of this age. That's the culture we live in, and we live in a time where we just, I'm not going to let anybody tell me what to do, especially if I disagree. 
That's a test of your character, and we're going to learn that from the life of David today. Now, I asked my father-in-law, who I've sat under for, I guess now, 26 years of my life, um, next to my father, the second most influential person in my life, and I have watched him not only teach, I mean, he's been a pastor for almost 50 years, and he has taught whole series on the life of David. So he's going to come bring this one message today, but not only about David, but he's going to talk to you from his own life and stories that we know as a family, and our character got shaped by how he and my mother-in-law, how they dealt with challenges of authority, and what do you do when you don't get your way, and what happens when people attack you, and you have to submit to that, and listen, you need to hear these stories today. David Coston, my father-in-law, is the president and the founder of Cry of India. He's pastored some of the largest churches in our nation, and also internationally, and now he travels every Sunday, pretty much, speaking for the Cry of India, talking about underprivileged children in, in India, and how we can save them and provide food and shelter and education and spiritual formation. But he's coming today not just to share his experience, but you'll hear his heart today as he expresses the heart of David. No one like a David to talk about David, right? All right, so put your hands together and welcome my father-in-law, no stranger to us, David Coston. You're welcome, Dad. Wow, it's a privilege to be back with you again today and to talk to you about authority and wanting your own way. And you know what's so funny is we've all had these people that have abused authority around us, whether it's government or so forth, and they reinforce our attitudes about authority. Kind of reminds me of the Texas rancher who had a DEA agent show up at his ranch one day. And the DEA agent came into the rancher and he said, listen, I have word that there's some illegal drugs being grown out here on your ranch, and I want to come and inspect your ranch. The rancher said, Fine, go ahead, help yourself. But let me tell you something. Just don't go out in that field over there. The DE agent said, you don't understand. I have the authority of the federal government behind me. He reached in his pocket, pulled out his badge. He said, you see this badge? I can go anywhere I want. I can investigate anything I want to. And nobody can say no or stop me or anything like that. Do you understand? He said, sir, I apologize. I understand. Help yourself. So the rancher goes into the barn and is working, and he starts hearing these screams coming. Help! 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 And he runs out, and as he does, sure enough, here's this DEA agent out in this field he told him not to go into. And he's running for his life because the rancher's bull has zeroed in on him and is heading with his horns ready to gore this DEA agent. And the DEA agent's running as fast as he can and saying, help me, help me, help me. And the rancher runs to the, to the fence and yells, show him your badge, show him your badge. <laughs> you see, the problem with most of us is we have all of these negative stories that reinforce the negativeness of authority. We're an independent, individualistic society, and that's so inbred in our culture. No one's going to tell us what to do. We're going to do it our way. Many will tell a lie to get ahead. They'll roll another employee under the bus. 
to look better for themselves. They'll make someone else, their mistake, someone else's mistake. They have an attitude, get out of my way. I'm moving towards my own destiny and you're in my way and I'll find a way under, a way around, a way through, whatever's necessary to accomplish my goals. What will you do to get your own way? See, we're influenced so much by our society and our culture and our collective philosophy that we pretty much want things to go our way and we're going to do it. We're the masters of our own fate. We are establishing our own destiny. These are the lies that are propagated to us. And yet Proverbs 21.2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord, the Lord weighs the heart. I want to look today at a guy by the name of David out of the Old Testament. He occupies so much of the Old Testament in the stories of his life. You pick him up in 1 Samuel chapter 16. His story's told to the 31st chapter. It's told through the entire book of 2 Samuels. It's told through 1st and 2nd chapter of 1 Kings. And then you have two-thirds of the Psalms that speak about David's life. A man whom God chose... Acts chapter 13 says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. This is what God says about David. One of the greatest traits that set him above all others when it comes to getting his way is he did things differently. He recognized that he was under the authority and direction of God. He was not the master of his destiny. God was. He humbled himself before God. His role was to serve the purposes of God in whatever he did in his life. And he recognized that God had delegated authorities. His life story is like many of our life stories. It's filled with conflict, jealousy, love, struggle, disrespect, family problems, sin, tragedy, and victories. But in all of these things, he eventually rose because he had a character trait of respect and authority and honor of God. You say, well, I respect the authority of God. I honor the authority of God. It's not God I have my problem with. It's people. I don't respect the authority of people. And so our mantra becomes, under God, okay, under people, no way. And as Christians, we can justify ourselves by saying, well, I respect God, but get out of my way. You see, this is where the rubber meets the road. My text this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, that says this. Powerful little verse that brings a poignant truth. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Let's learn some lessons from David's life because David's life is one that gets pictured, that talks to us about what this respective authority is. You see, first of all, you learn from David, he developed a proper attitude towards authority. He had a proper attitude towards it. He's a young teenage boy, and Samuel comes to the house of Jesse. God has spoken to Samuel and said, I'm going to remove Saul to be king, and I'm going to anoint another king. And so Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. 
And he has Jesse bring all his sons. And Samuel goes down one after another. And God says, no, no, until all of them are eliminated. And he looks bewildered. And he says to Jesse, do you have another son? He said, yes. He said, I have a young son who's tending my sheep out in the fields. Bring him in. And, and he brings David in. And David stands before Samuel and says, God says, this is the one. Now, Samuel anoints David. Now, it's not that kind of anointing we have today that a little dabble, do you? It's a bucket of oil. He takes the whole flask of oil and pours it over David's head. And let me tell you, this is a bit heady for David. Here he is, the youngest of all of his brothers, and he's standing there in front of them, and Samuel, the great prophet of Israel, is anointing him to become the future king of Israel. Now, can you imagine your 15-year-old son being anointed by God to become president of the United States? What would that be like to live with? <laughs> Samuel would have been, uh, you know, David would have seemed to have been hard to, be, to live with. But no, David knew, understood something. He humbled himself before God. In everything that he did, he humbled himself. He recognized that God was the master of his destiny and his own fate. He carefully shepherded the sheep that was brought under his care by his father. He took food to his older brothers, even when they ridiculed him and said, what are you doing here in the middle of this army when, when you should be home tending those few little scrawny sheep that you have? He played the harp for Saul when Saul had a troubled spirit. He kept a humble spirit at all times. He never forced his position. He didn't promote himself to become king. He recognized there was a reigning king in Israel. And David had a great respect of authority. His character is revealed in 1 Samuel chapter 24 in the wilderness of En Gedi. David is running from Saul for his life. Now, Saul is a mean, wicked king. He has these troubled times and he's jealous about David. He wants to kill him. He's thrown a spear at him trying to kill him. He, he gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. And then after David ran away, he took Michael and gave her to someone else. Saul is just as mean as he can be. And David is hiding from Saul, not wanting to be killed by Saul. And he's hiding in a cave in En Gedi. And Saul is searching for him. And Saul needs to relieve himself. So David's hiding deep in the cave with his men. And Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And David, his men are encouraging, this is your moment, this is your time. And David sneaks up behind Saul in the darkness of that cave. And he cuts the robe the corner of the robe off of Saul. And Saul leaves the cave and goes out to the other side of the mountainside, uh, to the other side of the valley, I should say. And as he goes out to the other side of the valley, David says, Saul, why are you seeking me? Saul said, is that David? He said, yes. He said, Saul, God put you in my hands. I have a corner of your robe. Now, here's what's interesting. David feels guilty for cutting the robe of the king. I'm not sure I would have felt guilty. I might have gone, this is my divine moment. But David feels guilty for cutting the robe of the king. And he says this in Samuel, 1 Samuel 24, 6. He said, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king and attack the Lord's anointed, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Wow. What a respect of authority, even when this is an evil king. 
You see, Romans 13, 1 says to us, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. You say, under God, okay, but under man, no way. Wait a minute. All authorities have been placed. That means delegated authorities in the home, in government, your employer, church. And those authorities have been given for purposes. One of the purposes the scripture teaches us is for the growth of us as people. For Paul writes in Romans 13 and says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, for he is God's minister to you for good. The people that rule over you, your, your judges, your teachers, they're there to cause growth in your life. They're, your pastors, they're there to cause growth in your life. Your parents, they're there to cause growth in your life. But not only growth, they're there for your protection. Authority keeps us so often from our own destruction. Do you realize that the police are there for our protection and traffic rules are there for our protection? I love to drive in America versus India. India has three lines on the road that say that there are three uh, channels that you drive your car down, but those lines are only suggestions. <laughs> Red lights are suggestions. No traffic coming, you go through. Or if traffic's coming, you squeak your way through. I'm so grateful every time I drive 69 for police that they're there to patrol that. There are times I've wanted to call them and say, hey, you missed somebody. But they're there to patrol. And you know, I, I, I have to tell you, I have a hard time with this. But you have to thank the police officer when he gives you a ticket. You have to say to him, sir, thank you. You are God's servant to my life for my good. Think you could do that? You might have to resuscitate him after he picked himself up off the ground. Never had anybody do that, but they're there for your protection, and they're there for the direction of your life. I love what the Bible says about our parents. It says, my son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. For their command is a lamp and their instruction is a light. You see... Authority is given there for us. They're delegated authorities by God. But please understand, God, the, the authority has its limitation. All delegated authority has its limitations. And one of the limitations is God's rule is always above man's rule. God's rule is always above man's rule. You see, God doesn't ask us to walk in blind obedience. As the disciples were challenged by the Sanhedrin and said, go out, but do not speak in the name of Jesus. They were brought in. And then Peter and the other apostles answered, we ought to obey God rather than man. So God's rules always supersede man's rules. But if you're not careful, what can happen? It can tap into the attitude that you can have and rebellion can come up within your own heart. For there is never a latitude for an attitude of rebellion in our lives. It was Samuel that said to Saul when Saul was rebellious, he said, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. It was rebellion that caused Lucifer to fall from heaven. It is rebellion that is the source of sin. And so sin in our lives causes us to lose respect for delegated authority. God expects us to respect that authority. He provides you with protection and he provides you with favor and a quiet, peaceable life. Our proper view of authority starts, though, with an attitude of the heart. I learned this years ago when I was pastoring 
early in my pastoral ministry, our district superintendent resigned and it was time to elect a new district superintendent. And so I was there at the election and the man that got elected was not the man that I wanted. I felt that the man that was elected was not qualified. He shouldn't have gotten that position. I felt like he, he, you know, this was just a big mistake. He should have not got there. And next time I get a chance to vote, I'm going to vote him out. And, and, you know, and I developed an attitude. And every time I met the guy, he was not very nice to me. And uh, that just reinforced my negative attitude. See, he should never have had that position. Until one day in prayer, God said to me, do you realize I put him in that position? I said, really? He said, I put him there. He is my delegated authority. And I found the rebelliousness in my heart, and I confessed it before God, and I said, God, I forg would you forgive me? And I said, I'm going to bring myself in submission, and I'm going to change my attitude, and I did. And you know what happened? The lenses of my glasses changed. I saw him a whole different light. You see, it wasn't that he changed. It was that I changed. And I saw him with respect. And he became friendly towards, towards me, and we became good friends. You see, when you come to understand what God wants, you first of all got to respect authority. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. That's respecting authority. And at the right time, he will lift you up. Secondly, you got to wait patiently for God's timing. Wow. Timing? When I talk about David, I'm talking about a man that waited patiently. David, he was 15 years of age about when he was anointed to be king in his father's house. He became king over Judah at the age of 30. And he became king over Israel, all of Israel, at the age of 37 and a half. He waited 22 years for the fulfillment of the promise of God. 22 years. Are you patient like that to let God's promises be fulfilled in your life over that long period of time, 22 years? See, there's another time in David's life when David is in the wilderness of Zip and he's hiding from Saul and Saul is looking for his life. During that 22-year period of time, eight years, David was running for his life from Saul directly. And here he is in the wilderness of Zip and Saul's army's looking for him and they've encamped in the valley and Dave's hiding up in the caves. And he says to his men, I want to go down in the, and to see Saul. And so in the middle of the night, Abishi, one of David's key leaders, says, I'll go with you. And David and Abishi go down into the camp of Israel to see Saul. And all the Israelites are asleep. It's the middle of the night. Abner, the general, is sound asleep. And Saul is in the middle of the camp. And they make their way into the middle of the camp. And Abishi says to David, God has delivered him into your hands. Let me take the spear and thrust it through his head and end this right now. And David turns to Abishi and he said, the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or she shall go out to perish in battle. But the Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. 
There would be a proper time. There would be a proper place. See, if you think that God has forgotten you where you are and what your struggle is and he's forgotten his promises to your life and you're that person in waiting, you're waiting for God to fulfill it, I want to challenge you this morning. Don't give way to fear. Don't worry. Don't take revenge. Don't give way to taking things in your own hands when others say, this is your opportunity. Seize this opportunity right now. Trust in the Lord in spite of the situation. That's why Proverbs 3, it's my favorite verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. See, God works in your life and it takes time. You have to be patient. You have to patiently trust and patiently wait. Nancy and I had pastored a church in California. And we'd had a wonderful ministry. Been there four years, great church. We knew that part of their history had been, they'd been a little bit nasty to some of their pastors in previous years. And, and we kind of ignored that, went there, and we were there, and everything was going along wonderfully well until the day came that God spoke to both Nancy and I at the same time, I want you to resign, you're finished here. And so being obedient servants of the Lord, we said, okay, we'll do this. We put out a, a fleece before the Lord to make sure this was the Lord, and it was. And we said, okay, we did that, and we resigned. Boy, did I never, I never realized how much nasty could be involved in Christian circles. I mean, the nasties came out of there. They threatened to sue us for breach of contract because uh, that we were resigning, we were leaving there, and they were a prideful church. They didn't let anybody resign. They'd rather fire people than let anybody resign. And boy, it went from bad to worse. And they said to me, you need to get a lawyer. We're going to bring a lawsuit against you. And you know, as a pastor, one of the things you have is your reputation and so when we left that church, uh, we, our reputation went before us and other churches would call and say, hey, would you consider coming to be our pastor? They would call that church for a reference and they would give a bad reference on us. Well, I really wanted to take them to task. You, you know, I have found that that flesh rises up within me. I still have it. I keep trying to kill it, but that sucker keeps getting life support systems. <laughs> it comes up. And I'm kind of like, okay, I'm going to take you on. And God says to me, are you going to take them on or are you going to let me take them on? I'm kind of saying, you know, I can handle this. But then I'm thinking about it for a while. And I'm saying, no, you know what, God, you can handle this an awful lot better than I can handle this. I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to zip my lip. I'm not going to talk bad about them. I'm just going to leave it alone. And boy, the future looked bleak as the, as the course narrowed and there didn't seem many places we, go, we could go. And finally, this new church work in Pennsylvania opened up in the Philadelphia area and said, would you consider coming to be our pastor? It was meeting in a shopping center with about 200 people. And we go, really? We left a church of 2,500 people and we went there, we felt God directed us and we went there and took that church. Lorie and came out to visit us and she called her sister Heather and said, mother and dad have lost their marbles. You know, where, what in the world have they done? But you know what? 
It proved to us in the process of time that that was the will of God for us. We spent 16 wonderful years and grew a great church in the middle of a wilderness there. That proved the will of God for us. But here's what proved interesting to me. The church in California dropped its lawsuit, never pursued it. Things went quiet, never wondered what would happen seven years later. I get a phone call one day. Pastor David, this is so-and-so from the board of such-and-such -such a church in California. We'd like to invite you to come out and be our keynote speaker for our 50th anniversary celebration. I wanted to say, really? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> that was the old man flesh I was still dealing with. I said, I'd be delighted to. One of their former pastors, who they've been really nasty to, said, don't ever call me again. Leave me alone. But I went back there. God healed that situation. They loved on us. It was absolutely unbelievable. And we formulated a relationship with them that we still have today. And they support our ministry and support Cry of India and everything else because we waited patiently. Here's the secret. You're going to do it your way and make a mess or you're going to do it God's way and be blessed. What are you going to do? You see, God wants you to wait patiently. Thirdly, we learn from David is know that all your challenges are for training. David knew every challenge he faced was for training. He revealed that to Saul when he was coming to kill Goliath. David said to Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. In other words, God was with me when I killed the lion. He was with me when I killed the bear. He'll be with me when I kill the Philistine because God is with me. I know that every challenge I face is strengthening my life. He taught, God taught David how to handle pride and success. For the women of Israel began to sing after David's conquest. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And it brought jealousy in Saul's heart because of this. But it says in 1 Samuel 18, 5, David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. See, the Lord tested David and taught him to continually forgive Saul, that person that was trying to do him. Over and over you find David continuing to forgive Saul. And then the problems and the trials that were going on in this training were driving David to his knees. He was always seeking to God. Why do you think you have the Psalms? The Psalms come to us out of the pressures of those times when David was seeking the Lord. See, God uses those above you and around you for training and character development. God is not finished with you where you are. He is training you for greater things today. Getting our way and getting out of things shortcuts God's training development. It's hardships that pressure cook the character of God in our lives. You don't get the character of God without stress and pressure and difficulty and problems. That's why James wrote in James 1, consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed and not deficient in anything. When I look back the stress pressures of some of my life, I go back to a time when I had, Nance and I had taken the church in Washington and 
was a church of about three or 400, 300 people, 400 people, a wonderful congregation. We went there, a wonderful first year of ministry we had there. We loved it very much, and they were a very loving people. The man who had been the vice chairman of the board previous to our coming had resigned the board, and now he was just a member of the congregation, but he kind of liked to dabble his fingers in everything in the church, and he became our good friend. He bought a house that was right next door to our house and lived right next door to us. And things were going wonderfully for the first year or so forth, and he went to Disney World with his wife, and he bought me a little cup that says, kiss me, I'm bald. Lest you think this baldness comes from age, it's been something I've had for a long time in my life. And I drink my tea out of that cup in the mornings, and I used to enjoy drinking the tea out of this cup, and as the, we went into the second year of our ministry there, he did not like the growth and the changes that were happening in the church. And so he started to agitate and started to create problems and started to create difficulty. And I would go across the street and go in his house and say, Channing, can we talk? What have I done to offend you? Oh, nothing, pastor. I would do this off and on. And it would always be this cloud of, oh, nothing, and, you know, pretend like there's nothing there, but I'm hearing what other people are saying and what he's saying all around the congregation, and things go from bad to worse until one day the church gets struck by lightning and burns to the ground, and he blames me for the fire. <laughs> I wanted to say if I had the power to call lightning from heaven, it would not be on a building, my friend. <laughs> and we're three years deep into our ministry, and every day we go out of our door, he goes in his. He wanted to sell his house. He wanted to get away from us. He'd put his for sale sign on the front yard, and God had him nailed right next door to me and me nailed right next door to him. I'm raising teenagers at this time, and oh my God, he's watching what time they come in, what time they go out. I mean, he's adding fuel to his fire every time he turns around. And I'm on my knees going, oh God, what's happening? I mean, I've developed a prayer life that you wouldn't believe. God's working in me. And I have staff members say, hey, let me go and negotiate a truce. I said, leave it alone. You know what? It's between him and me. We're going to have to work this out. And God has a timing on this. So the church burns down and we're meeting. We're kind of like Heartland. We're the church all over town. We're meeting in the fairgrounds. Our nursery's over at the junior high school. Our, our midweek service is at the Nazarene church. And, you know, we're just all over town. And Nance and I go to Europe, and we're on a conference in Europe, and I'm in the, the Hague, Netherlands, and I'm walking in the Passage, which is a, a, a kind of an indoor market area, and I come by a Delft store, and as I go by the Delft store, I look up, and here's a cup. Now, I've wanted to buy a cup for him for a long time, and the Lord says, buy that cup for Chani. I said to Nance, I'm going to buy that Delft cup. She said, what do you want with that Delft cup? I said, I want to buy it for Channy. She said, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm going to buy it for Channy. So I pick it off and put it in my suitcase and come home. I'm preaching on Sunday morning. It's communion service. And as we're serving communion, God speaks to me and says, I want you to take communion for someone that's not here. Well, I'm looking across that audience and I'm recognizing that Chani and Loretta are not there. You see, things have gotten so bad. Bitterness has come in. 
And I'm a young pastor. I'm just learning, saying, oh, God, help me in this. So I take communion that morning for them. Monday morning comes around, and the Lord says to me, now tonight, I want you to take that cup and go to their house. So Monday night, about 7 o'clock, I walk across the street to their house, and I knock at the door. Channy answers the door, and I said, Channy, can I come in? I want to talk with you. He said, please, come on in, Pastor. So I walked in and walked into their family room. Loretta's standing in the kitchen right there. Channy's right beside me. I'm on the couch. I said, you know, four years ago when I came here, you guys gave me a present of a cup. I drink my tea out of it every morning, and I think about you. I love you guys. I said, when I was in Europe, I've always looked for something to bring you, and I brought this for you. Before they ever unwrapped it, Loretta walked out of the kitchen, walked into the living room, or walked into the family room, and got on her knees right before me. She said, Pastor, yesterday we were at another church, and they were serving communion. And in this communion tray passed in front of us. I've been a Christian for 30 years. And the Lord said to me, you can't take communion. You've gone far enough, and bitterness has come, encompassed your heart. You've got to deal with this. And she said, Pastor, will you forgive us? Wow. We had a healing that night. God restored that relationship four long years waiting for that to come. One week later, they sold their house. Don't tell me God wasn't in that. I don't care how good a real estate agent you are. <laughs> One week later, they sold their house. They moved to the valley, which was not very far away, built a new house, and a year later, they said, come to our house and dedicate our new house as a cathedral unto God. You see? You're going to do it your way and make a mess. You're going to do it God's way and be blessed. We remain friends with them for years and call them every New Year's Eve. I learned to patiently trust the Lord in that process. I learned that the challenges were for training in my life. The fourth thing we learned from David is he kept his focus on God. It was God who would lift him up. He would not fret or he would not cling for power or grasp for power. He would wait for the timing of God. When David is 30, King Saul is killed in battle. And the men of Judah come and say, we want to make you king. And so David becomes king over Judah. But Saul's son, Ishabeth, becomes the king over Israel. David will not lay a hand upon him. There are some rebellious men seven years later that kill Ishabeth and bring the, bring the head of Ishabeth to David and said, we have killed him. And David killed the rebellious man. Who are you to touch the Lord's anointed? And all of Israel came together and said, you are the shepherd of the sheep of Israel. God has appointed you. Will you become the king of Israel? And at 37 and a half, he becomes the king of Israel. God rewarded him for his faithfulness. You see, there's no shortcut to character. It's developed through trials and challenges of life. 
God knows where you are, and God knows what you're going through. He has all the circumstances in his hand. And what is he doing? He's developing a person of character out of you. He uses people and authority around you to develop that. So Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Respect authority. Wait patiently. Grow in challenges. Keep your focus on God. And how do we do all this? Let me tie it down with this. You pray for those in authority over you. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, pray much for others, plead for God's mercy upon them, Thank, give thanks for all he's doing for them and pray this way for kings and all others who are in authority over us. You see, when you begin to pray for people that are in authority, it begins to position your heart right. It begins to put you in a place that you recognize that your focus is on God and you can be patient and you can grow in your challenges and you can respect those people in that position. I close with this story. It reminds me of a couple that were in our home group in Holland. Their name was Stan and Sharon. Sharon was a wonderful believer but found that she had come to the Lord a few years before. She and Stan had been married for about 15, 18 years, something at that point in time. And Stan had been raised in a very difficult household. His parents were agnostics. Mother and dad had committed suicide. He's an only child. You can imagine the stars that are left on his life. He doesn't trust God, doesn't trust anybody. Very smart man. He's on a foreign assignment. He's living in the country of Holland with his wife, Sharon. Sharon is now a wonderful believer, and she comes to Bible study every Tuesday night. She comes, and she's gentle, and she's quiet, and she's kind, and she ends the Bible study every, every Tuesday night and says, would you pray for my husband, Stan, that God will speak to his heart, and he'll come to Jesus. You see, she has a respect for authority, for Stan was the authority in the household, and she respected that. She learned, because there's a secret here. When you pray for those that are over you, God speaks to them. He doesn't expect you to take it in your hands. You turn it to that, him, and he speaks to them. So things go on like this for about a year, year and a half, and then all of a sudden, one Tuesday night, in walks Stan with a Bible under his arm. I mean, I'd close my mouth shut as I'm standing there, and I want to ask her, but I'm smart enough to be quiet. So we go through the Bible study, and Stan is reading the scriptures and sharing and so forth, and we're all kind of all gawking and going, okay. And then I say, Sharon, can I talk to you for a moment? And I take her aside. I say, what is this? She said, well, Pastor Dave, you know, I've been praying for him for about a year and a half. I've just lived my life quietly. I've prayed. He sees me pray. He sees me read the Bible. I've honored him. I've done everything I could to just love him because I recognize him as the leader of my home. I know the tragedies, the depression, and the struggle that he deals with in his emotional life. She said about four days ago, he came to me and he said, Sharon, I've watched your life, and you have a relationship with God. And you know what? I so desperately need that relationship with God. Would you pray with me? And she said, I had the wonderful privilege of putting my arms around him and leading my husband to the Lord because of my quiet, gentle spirit. See, 
Pray for those that are in authority over you. Don't fight them. Don't get antagonistic towards them. Respect them. Wait patiently. Grow in the challenges. Keep your focus on God by praying for them. So you can do it your way and make a mess. Or you can do it God's way and be blessed. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up. Father, I come in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for the pressures and the trials that build character in our life. May we keep our focus upon you and wait patiently as we grow in the midst of these difficulties. And may we respect those that are in authority over us. And Father, this morning, if there's anyone here that has not come to the place of bowing their knee before you and finding you as their loving Lord and Savior, may they do that today. Bless this wonderful congregation as we learn to respect authority. In Jesus' name, amen.